0: I wonder if you can remember the first of the Ten Commandments. You can find it in Exodus 20. And the first commandment, uh, Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. There is one God that we are to worship. We're not to go after false gods, uh, other gods. When a certain Pharisee tested Jesus, asked him which is the greatest commandment, I wonder if you can remember how Jesus replied. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Our love for God is to be paramount in our lives. Our relationship with God is the most important relationship that we can ever have. And it's no coincidence that this first book of the minor prophets, Hosea, focuses on this very theme, our relationship with God, our love for God, and more importantly, God's love for us. And what we see is that our love for God is pretty flimsy. And God's love for us is strong, steadfast, relentless. The Hebrew word that we often read in relation to God's love is hesed, and it refers to God's faithfulness and steadfast love. The Jesus storybook Bible translates hesed as God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And that is essentially what the book of Hosea is all about. So let's put the book into its proper uh, context. Hosea was a prophet, and last week we saw that prophets were people that God had chosen to speak to Israel on God's behalf. And as we'll see, God spoke through Hosea in the most vivid and surprising and even shocking way. Uh, You'll remember that After the reign of King Solomon, the nation of Israel split in two. You had the uh, ten northern tribes, uh, the northern kingdom, and the two southern tribes, the southern kingdom. And Hosea began to prophesy in the northern kingdom around 750 years BC during the reign of King Jeroboam II. Uh, Jeroboam II was one of the worst kings that Israel ever had. He reigned during a period of economic prosperity but the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. Jehoboam himself led the people astray into worshipping false gods, uh, particularly the Canaanite god Baal and others. And under his reign, Israel became supremely complacent, even though they were hurtling towards a period of tremendous chaos from which they would never recover because in 722 B.C., Uh, the northern kingdom was decimated by the Assyrians and the people were carried off into exile. And that happened because Israel broke the covenant that God had made with them on Mount Sinai. A covenant is a special partnership, much like a marriage. And just as a marriage comes with rules and conditions, so too God's covenant with Israel came with rules and conditions which were set out in the law of Moses God basically said to the people if you fulfill the conditions of the covenant by keeping the law things will go well for you but they broke the covenant and things didn't go well and it's the same with marriage when two people get married they're promising to abide by the rules of marriage and here's what they promise so-and-so will you take so-and-so to be your wife will you love her comfort her, honor and protect her, and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. And hopefully the groom says, I do, and then the bride makes exactly the same promises. And if they, both of them, live that out, then they will have a good relationship, a good marriage. I mean, life might be really hard for them they might face all kinds of struggles and difficulties and problems Uh, but if they fulfill the promises of marriage to love honor protect and be faithful they will have a strong marriage but uh, when someone is unfaithful to those promises we know that things go wrong when someone starts up a a conversation with an ex on facebook uh, or has an affair or treats their spouse disrespectfully Uh, Those kind of things, which all boil down to a lack of love and faithfulness, cause problems. It's not a case of they may cause problems, those sorts of things. They will always cause problems. And it only takes one person in the marriage to break the covenant for that marriage to be damaged, sometimes irreparably so. Every marriage breakdown is a result of the marriage covenant being broken in some way. Uh, Even if your spouse doesn't know that you've broken the covenant, if you have, it will pollute the marriage and create problems. Now, I just want to interject something at this point. Now, of course, as a church, we promote, we uphold, and we support marriage. But we also recognize that people, relationships, and situations can be incredibly diverse and complex, Uh, Marriages can be damaged in a huge number of ways, and there are things that people have experienced within marriage uh, that we simply couldn't understand unless we experienced it ourselves. And so the right response to someone whose marriage has broken down is always one of love, compassion, and support, and never judgment. But the point I'm making is that marriage is a covenant, Uh, keep the rules of the covenant, you have a strong marriage, break the rules of the covenant and things go wrong and that's a very painful experience. And God entered into a covenant with Israel and urged them to remain faithful. That generation who were at Mount Sinai, when God established the covenant, they broke it. And so they never entered the promised land. And in the book of Deuteronomy, God is urging this new generation. So that first generation, they all died out. There's a whole new generation. They're about to enter the promised land. And God is urging them to keep the covenant. Before they enter the promised land, God is reminding them of the promises that were made. And then at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, uh, chapter 30, verse 19, God says, I've set before you life and death. Blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose life. Be faithful to the covenant so that things might go well with you. And we know that the conditions of the covenant were set out in the law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. And the foundation of the law is the Ten Commandments. Of course, there's much more to the law than that, but the foundation is those Ten Commandments. As we've seen, the first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Now we know that if there's one thing that Old Testament prophets always did, it was to remind Israel of the covenant. Uh, the prophets were a lot like covenant watchdogs, always pointing out how Israel was failing to keep the covenant, and Hosea was no exception. But the way that God called Hosea to do this is actually quite shocking, uh, but also extremely powerful because it reveals the extent of Israel's sin and it reveals God's heart and the extent of God's love. So basically, Hosea married a promiscuous woman called Goma. Now, it's not entirely sure whether Goma was promiscuous uh, before they got married, but certainly afterwards she was. Uh, they had three children together, and then for whatever reason, uh, Goma gave herself over to harlotry. She basically became a prostitute. Now, given that I've been talking about marriage and covenant faithfulness Within marriage, you may have already guessed that Hosea's marriage to Goma is deeply symbolic. Uh, Hosea, the faithful husband, represents God, and Goma, the unfaithful wife, represents Israel. And we might be incredulous about this account. Why would Goma become a prostitute when she's got a fine, upstanding husband who loves her deeply? Uh, but that's the point. We might equally ask, why would Israel turn its back on the one true God and go chasing after false gods? And the answer is simple, sin. Human beings are predisposed to rebel against God. We see that in every generation, every stage of human history, and we see it in our own hearts and lives every day. Now, in our reading, it says that Gomer was loved by another man. Loved, of course, is a euphemism for something else. But in other places, it refers to her lovers. For example, in uh, chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, she will chase after her lovers but not catch them. And this points to the state of religion in Hosea's day. It's likely that the Israelites were attempting to worship several gods at the same time. Kind of like, okay, well, Yahweh, that's the God of the Bible. Yahweh was good when we were in Egypt. Uh, because he freed us from slavery in Egypt and led us out uh, in the Exodus. Yahweh's good at that sort of thing. But now we're settled in the land, and we've got to grow our crops, and we need a good harvest, so maybe it's Baal that we need to look to. Maybe Baal's the best God to help us with that. And maybe uh, this other God can help us with X, Y, and Z, and so on, and so on. So it's likely... That they were attempting to worship other deities whilst not completely letting go of God. And it didn't work. It violated the covenant and it prevented them from having a proper relationship with God. And it doesn't work for us either. We can't enter into some kind of open relationship with God where we try to worship other things alongside God. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus knew only too well that we would attempt to do this. We say we worship God alone, but then we give higher priority to other things in our lives. Do we worship God or do we worship materialism? We must make our choice because we cannot do both, says Jesus. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. If we don't give God everything, our hearts, our souls, and our minds, we shouldn't wonder that we're not having a great relationship with God. If God is an afterthought in our everyday lives, we're not going to move forwards in our journey of faith. And we may end up thinking, ah, this Christianity thing, it doesn't work. I don't need God. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting... It's been found difficult and left untried. And the Christian ideal is to live a life of faithful obedience to God and worship Him only. Israel chased after other gods. Gomer chased after other men. And we often chase after materialism. Materialism, health, wealth, and comfort is the God of the modern Western world. We don't always live in faithful obedience to God because we prioritize so many things above God and in that sense we're unfaithful but the wonderful message of Hosea is that God is faithful even when we are not of course Hosea does include if you read the whole book and I hope you will uh, it includes uh, a lot about the uh, impending consequences of Israel's rebellion uh, namely their defeat at the hands of the Assyrians and subsequent exile. shouldn't surprise us that rebelling against God comes with consequences, uh, just as there are serious consequences to being unfaithful in marriage. However, the ultimate message of Hosea is one of love. God's love and mercy prove to be stronger than Israel's sin. Picture Hosea walking the streets late at night, In search of the wife he loves standing outside a brothel waiting for an opportunity to talk with her to love her to win her back maybe you've had a time when you've wandered away from the Lord or perhaps you can look back to when you weren't a Christian if you want to know God's heart for you at that time before you came to faith or when as a Christian you wandered off if you want to know God's heart for you at that time Nothing says it more clearly than Hosea, the loving husband, Hosea, searching out his unfaithful wife, Goma. And you can imagine what Hosea's friends would have said. How can a holy man like you be in love with an adulterous harlot like that? And Hosea might have said, Well, I'm glad you've asked, because I'm beginning to wonder how a holy God like that can love an adulterous nation like us. God is love. It's not just something he does, it's who he is. And he takes that love to the most undeserving people, uh, not just recalcitrant Israel, but to the likes of you and me. Let's read verses 1 to 3 again. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man. And is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I'll behave the same way toward you. Verse two, where it says that Hosea bought Gomer back and uh, the exact price is given in silver and barley. It's a bit puzzling. Why did Hosea have to buy his wife back like a piece of property? When I read this, uh, I remembered Emma's recent mission trip to Thailand. Uh, You you may remember that Emma's group teamed up with Rahab Ministries, uh, who provide women with a route out of the sex industry. And one of the things they do is they train them to make jewellery so that they've got an alternative source of income. But to spend time with those women, they needed to pay a tariff or a bar fine to the bars where they worked. And you may also remember we gave money so that uh, Emma and her group could spend time uh, with, with those girls. Women in the sex industry are treated as commercial assets, mere commodities. That is happening in our world today. So it shouldn't surprise us that Hosea had to buy Goma back. But in order to have a right relationship with God, we had to be bought back, didn't we? And the price was Jesus' life. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You were bought at a price, therefore honour God with your bodies. Isn't it amazing how the prophets spoke to Israel in their own day and the prophets speak to us in hours. So Hosea loved Gomer in spite of her unfaithfulness. He went in search of her, paid the price for her, even though she was completely undeserving. And that is what God has done for Israel in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is what God has done for each one of us. Because God is just he had to pass judgment, and that comes across very clearly in the book of Hosea and in Israel's history. But because God is love, he wanted to restore that relationship, not just with Israel, but with humanity. And the place where God's just judgment and relentless love meet is the cross of Jesus Christ. The book of Hosea reveals God's heart, We get to glimpse God's pain and heartache over sinful, broken, unfaithful Israel. And we see God's pain and heartache for the world and indeed for us as individuals. But ultimately, Hosea shows us that God's love is relentless. When I was a boy, my mum encouraged me to pray something like this. Lord, no matter how much I struggle no matter how much I resist you, please don't ever let me go. And I've got to say, I struggled pretty hard, but God didn't let me go. Israel were like an unfaithful spouse, but God didn't abandon her. And when it comes to our relationship with God, we too can be like an unfaithful spouse. We can be very flighty. We may not bow down to idols made of wood and stone, but we allow other things to push God out of our lives. But God refuses to let us go. His love is relentless. So in light of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, let us resolve to live lives of faithful obedience to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we do so often struggle against you and we do put other things uh, in a in a position of priority in our lives over and above our relationship with you. Um, we are sorry, but we thank you that even though we can be unfaithful, you are completely faithful, you are steadfast, your love is relentless. We thank you so much for that. And we pray that you'll impress that upon us this morning, just how much you love us, even though we don't deserve your love at all. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen.